Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, brought to you by Reach, the people behind the Manchester Evening News, Lanx Live and Hull Daily Mail. We're bringing you the politics stories that really matter to the North and from the North that you won't hear about from the national media in London. I'm Northern Agenda editor Rob Parsons, recording from my bedroom studio in Leeds, and our guests on the podcast this week have a different take on the familiar slogan of levelling up. We know what politicians think about it, but what do the public in the North think about Boris Johnson's flagship policy and how it should be delivered. The UK in a Changing Europe research initiative has carried out the biggest survey of its kind into just this topic and we'll be hearing from them later. But first, let's get stuck into a topic that will be close to the hearts of millions of people in towns and cities across the North, namely public transport. It's a truth universally acknowledged, I think, that Leeds is the biggest urban area in Western Europe without a rapid mass transit system, a metro to you and I, despite numerous attempts over the years to get one. Political leaders in West Yorkshire hope this could finally be about to change and have submitted plans to government for what they call a 21st century mass transit system connecting Leeds to Bradford, Halifax, Dewsbury and the rest of West Yorkshire. But there's a great blog post published in the last few days by Tom Forth, head of data at Leeds-based Open Innovations, which spells out just how much Leeds is missing out on by not having a metro system. And not just in comparison with London or Manchester, but when you look at comparable places abroad. So uh, Tom's here to talk about it now. Hi, Tom. Hi, there. Hello. Welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Um, so to save me mangling your well-researched efforts on your blog, can you just take me through I'll take our listeners through your conclusions and how you how you reach them. Sure. So there was there was two questions that I was really looking at, and and the first question is how big is Leeds? All right. So I'm I'm uh, here working in the city centre in in Leeds. How big is Leeds? Because quite a lot of people assure me online and when I go places and even at events around the UK, they assure me that Leeds is quite a small city. So the the first thing I did was we've developed this tool using a really nice data set from the EU that covers the whole world. I developed this tool that lets you say within so many miles of any point on the whole of the globe, how many people live there. And uh, there's a nice stat that comes out from that, which is that within 12 miles of Dewsbury Station, which we may we may consider the beating heart of West Yorkshire, within 12 miles of the beating heart of West Yorkshire at Dewsbury Station, there's 2 million people that live in, in that quite small circle. And that's actually quite a bit bigger than Leeds's twin city of Lille, which is in the northeast uh, of France. 
And it's also bigger than Dublin, which is, you know, similar sized city to ourselves, but uh, not quite as big. And it always surprises people when I tell them that. They go, oh, no, I've been to Lille, I've been to Dublin, they're much bigger than Leeds. And I think, well, they're not. I mean, not in terms of the number of people who live there. Is that because Leeds has all these sort of towns, quite big towns around it that Lille and Dublin don't have? I'm just looking at the circle now and it's got places like Barnsley and Peniston in South Yorkshire and Shipley. Like It's quite quite a lot of sort of quite big, well-established towns, which presumably in Dublin and Lille, that there's not quite so many sort of settlements of a similar size in the... In the, in the yeah, exactly. So uh, Lille is actually very similar to Leeds in that way. There's, there's a, a, a city next to Lille called Roubaix, which is very similar to Bradford. So uh, and there's another city called Torquang, which is very similar to Wakefield. So Leeds, is, uh, Leeds and Lille really are very similar in that sense. But I'm sure you've got some readers and listeners in uh, Sylby Bridge or Halifax who are swearing at the podcast how dare how dare I lump them in together with this lump of West Yorkshire or Leeds but that's probably one of the the big differences yes uh, Dublin definitely not like Leeds in that sense it's very much there's Dublin and then you know ev- everywhere around it is is not saying that it's its own town really they're saying that they're part of Dublin yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I interrupted you when you were going on to to talk to, talk to us about uh, public transport. Yeah, so the, the second part of what we did was we took advantage of some fantastic open data that's published by the UK government for Great Britain. So the Department for Transport in recent years have really improved the public transport timetable data that they publish. Anyone can download it, play around with it, have a look when their buses do or don't run and that kind of thing. And what's what's really good is that Transport for Ireland also publish really great timetable data on the public transport that runs in the whole of Ireland, and that includes Dublin. And Lille City itself publish fantastic data on all of the public transport that runs in and around Lille. So I decided I would do some analysis of the type of public transport that's running throughout the day in the three cities which have quite similar populations. And one of the things I thought was quite interesting is Obviously, there's been lots of stories about bus cuts uh, in the north of England and especially in our cities and towns. So it was a little bit of a surprise to see that actually more buses run for longer in Leeds than in either Dublin or Lille. So actually, we have quite a lot of buses running around all the time. An interesting thing was that during the middle of the day, there's nearly three times as many buses running around Leeds as there are running around Lille. And there's like 50% more buses in the middle of the day running around Leeds and West Yorkshire than there are running around Dublin. So it's quite an interesting finding in that way. Um, The news wasn't quite so good when we looked at other types of public transport. So we looked at uh, trams. Dublin has a really good tram system now, two big long lines of tram It actually has more people use the tram every day in Dublin than in Greater Manchester, which is the largest tram system, I think, in in the UK. So Dublin's got this fantastic tram system, lots and lots of trams running around, carrying lots of people uh, uh, all over the place. And Lille has a tram system too, but in addition to that, it has two lines of uh, what feels like the future to us here in West Yorkshire, which is it has two lines of a driverless metro. 
and there's hundreds of these driverless metro trains that are running around the city um, in a way that we just don't have here. And then when you look at the number of active trams, trains and metros in Leeds, it's quite a, a sorry it's quite a sorry line in the graph. So uh, we've got about 30 trains running in and around Leeds uh, at peak time. In Lille, they've got 140 at the same time, and in Dublin, 80. So we're really lagging behind when it comes to something like mass transit, trains, trams, metros. That's really interesting. And one of the comparisons between these different forms of transport is that essentially buses are inherently less productive as a form of transport than driverless metros or trams, essentially. And because Leeds doesn't have, only has buses, and a few trains that is what that, that contributes to Leeds as a city being less productive than Lille or Dublin is that that is that right yeah so uh, the economies of Leeds and Lille are quite similar so similar number of people similar strength of the economy but in in Lille there's about 50% extra people who are using uh, public transport uh, every day and in order to, to achieve that, they actually only have half as many drivers driving around buses or trams or metros. And part of that, of course, is because you don't need a driver to drive a driverless metro. So what, what Leal is achieving is it's moving around 50% more people every day in, it, in its city than Leeds is. And it's doing it with half as many drivers driving, you know, Either, it's either half as many drivers or it could be the same number of drivers driving for half as long. You know, there might be some bus drivers who are enjoying a nice long lunch in Lille or similar. So there's, there's that. And then there's, we see the same pattern in Dublin. Again, you've got uh, much more people, about 50% extra people are using public transport every day in Dublin. But there's no extra drivers to accommodate them. There's the same number of drivers of buses and trams and trains in Dublin as we have in Leeds, they're just carrying 50% more people. That's just because uh, trams are faster, trams are bigger, they carry more people, you don't need as many drivers, and you get people to where they want to go quicker, easier, uh, and at at a higher productivity. So this is something that we often think about productivity in the economy as the amount of value that you can get for working for an hour. And I think all of us would love to earn the same amount of money, but only work half as much. Or we'd love to work the same as we do now and earn 50% more money. We all sort of instinctively understand that productivity is quite a good thing. Earning, Earning more money for less work sounds brilliant. And then when we look at just a little thing of how we might improve productivity, we see public transport as, as an explanation of part of that. It's just one part of it. The average driver of a public transport vehicle in Dublin and Lille is just a lot more productive than the average driver in Leeds, largely because the bus drivers in Leeds are sat in traffic all the time. I know that Leeds City Council, or Leeds as a city, is, I think, quite well regarded by bus operators in terms of the measures that they put in to make it easier for buses to get around sort of bus bus lanes and, and other infrastructure to make it slightly easier for buses to get in and out of the city centre. But I think the point that you seem to be making is that it doesn't matter how much resource you put in to make it easier for buses 
to get around, a transport system that is mostly based on buses is never going to be as productive and make it as easy for people to get in and out and get to jobs and whatever as you know a city that is based on multiple different types of public transport. That's essentially it, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you can only get about 60 people on a bus. If you can get 200 on a tram, then you're going to be much more productive in terms of that vehicle with one driver in in both cases moving people around your city so having a tram with 180 people on is just always going to be more productive than having a bus with maximum 60 people on yeah now i know in your blog you've you've said that you were you know interested in people's policy recommendations on the back of this i mean presumably the obvious policy recommendation is Leeds needs a metro system. Is, is, is it more complicated than that? Or is that is that basically what it comes down to? Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to prejudge uh, other people. I thought I'd listen to what other people think. I know that a lot of people have quite strong opinions on not wanting to waste money on a tram or a metro or better trains or bus lanes or anything like that. Um, I think, though, it, it is pretty obvious to see that at the minute we're, we're spending a lot of money actually running buses in Leeds and we're not moving a lot of people with all that money that we spent so we'd need a more efficient and productive method to move people around our city get them to you know hospital appointments get get their kids to the park get to work get home go and play football that kind of thing we need to just move people around in a, in a more sustainable way and more efficiently and it seems pretty clear that the way that Dublin and the way that Lille are managing that is just better than Leeds. And we should look at these cities, which are quite similar to our own. Actually, both of them have stronger economies than Leeds. We're sort of trailing behind them both a little bit in terms of wages and and income and, and the strength of our economy. We should have a look at Dublin and say, you know, 20 years ago, Dublin didn't have a tram. Today it does. We could be the same. Let's copy Dublin. I suppose your question is is a little bit more about a metro. Do I think that Leeds is going to dig big tunnels across the city centre and have a driverless metro that spans to Bradford, Halifax, Huddersfield, Wakefield and beyond? Do I think that in five years' time I'll be taking the metro underground to Castleford? Probably not. I think I'm, I'm probably more realistic than that. Let's have a tram. It works really well in Greater Manchester. I think anyone who lives in Greater Manchester who, who uses the tram will tell you that it's, it's fantastic. Works quite well in Blackpool. It's good fun always to go on the tram when you're there. I think that that's probably what, we, what we'll end up with in Leeds. And I just hope that it happens sooner rather than later. Obviously, numerous national politicians have cited Leeds's unwanted status, haven't they, as not having a, a mass transit system and promised to do something about it and you know hopes have been raised yet yet again but obviously with the current economic situation and the fact that the chancellor is saying that you know cherished infrastructure projects might not go ahead in the form that that we all hope they will are you are you optimistic that it's going to happen or do you think it's going to be another another false another false dawn i don't want to sound too miserable but i'm not optimistic at all i I don't I think after 40 years of Leeds saying it wants to build some kind of mass transit system, a tram maybe, and failing to to do that, 
largely failing to be allowed to do that by the UK government. It's, it's mostly not the fault of the city itself. I, I just don't see much hope for the next 10 years. We, we're clearly in a pretty terrible situation in terms of the economy and the deficit. That's That's due to lots of things that have sort of bundled up together to put us in a pretty difficult place, not not least Russia's invasion of Ukraine and, and the huge amount that we now have to pay for gas. I just don't think we're going to do better on this this time. I'd, I'd love to be hopeful. I'd love to be positive. But I suspect that very soon we'll start seeing that the UK government has to save some money. And the way that they usually save some money is that they cut spending on, on infrastructure. And I think they'll do that again in Leeds, sadly. But there's a little bit of a, an extra level of cynicism, which says that, you know, now that the Elizabeth line has opened in London and it's very nice, it's fantastic. It's like a vision of the future. Now that that's opened, maybe that's it. Maybe we'll we'll say that's enough investment for uh, 10 years now and we'll take a break for a little bit. So I think, unfortunately, I don't have much hope that, that we'll uh, solve the problem. And what's sad about that is that it, it saves money in the next five to 10 years, but it makes us poorer for the rest of our lives, basically. Failing to invest in a sustainable and productive future just makes us all poorer for the rest of our lives. And what we get for it is a small saving in money for the next five or 10 years. It's not a great decision, but it's probably the one that will be taken. Yeah. And you think, uh, given how much Liz Truss knows about the uh, deprived ghetto of Roundhay uh, in North Leeds, you, you think you should want yeah. to uh, help the, the, the poor people who live in that area to uh, to get into the city centre? Yeah, one of the reasons that she's so miserable, maybe, about her time spent in the deprived ghetto of North Leeds, uh, Roundhay, as uh, she's referred to it as, uh, maybe if there'd have been of tram, she'd have enjoyed her time a little bit more, who knows? But for me, I'm, I mean, I'm voting with my feet on this, I'm afraid. I've got an electric bike and it's brilliant, so I cycle everywhere. Yeah, no, I think I think you, you're making a good decision there. Well, um, Tom, thank you for that slightly downbeat assessment to end uh, end, end our chat on. But uh, I think uh, very incredibly interesting blog, and we'll keep an eye on um, what what the government decides to do. Whether they we do finally get somewhere towards getting this um, this much needed mass transit system. So, Tom Ford, thank you. Thank you. So, there's been no shortage of column inches devoted to the subject of levelling up, remember that, in the last three years. The policy implications, the political implications and economic implications. But, how much time has been spent finding out how people who might be affected by Boris Johnson's flagship policy feel about their areas, what could and should be done to improve them, and who they trust to actually do it? Probably not enough, and in an effort to fill that gap, a new survey has been carried out, described as the biggest of its kind, covering the public's levelling up priorities and how they would like to see them delivered. It's been conducted by the UK in a Changing Europe Research Initiative and YouGov, and the results are out today. So let's hear a bit more about it from Sophie Stowers, Research Assistant at UK in a Changing Europe, who helped write the report, and its director, Professor Anand Menon. It's great to have you both on. Hi Rob, nice to see you. Hiya. Hi, nice to have you both on. So, Sophie, can you just take us through some of the headline points in terms of the north of England from the report? 
Yeah, I think the most important thing to start with is just the fact that people actually do quite like where they live and people are generally quite proud to be from where they are in the north. So in our survey, we found that about 67% of people across the north of England say that they're either quite or very proud to be uh, from where they are. So there is that sort of strong sense of regional, local identity that definitely does come through. But at the same time, people can see what needs improving in their local areas and they know quite keenly what they want from the Leveling Up agenda. So uh, when we sort of ask people how they feel about their local area, a lot of people say that they think in the large part, their local communities have been in decline over the last decade. So the things that come up time and again are sort of the affordability and the quality of public transport and crime for people in the north of England are two uh, major issues, though they do say that things like housing and schools have slightly improved. And when we ask them what they think the most important thing that sort of government could do to improve their local communities, it's actually things that... Generally, we don't really talk about when it comes to the levelling up agenda because they seem to be the responsibility of national government. So it's actually things like improving access to healthcare or uh, sort of national level measures to tackle crime. And in the northeast, actually, um, something that comes up quite a lot are job opportunities and opportunities for young people, which obviously devolving power down to sort of local authorities doesn't really get to the heart of those issues. The other thing that comes up quite a lot is people in the North most certainly do feel like they're unfairly treated by the government. So across the North of England, about 70% of people say that they get less than their fair share of funding from central government. About 82% of people think that London gets too much money. So there definitely is that North-South divide that comes through in the data. And there's also a massive lack of trust in the government. So only about 10% of people who we asked in the north of England uh, think that the government in Westminster cares about their area. There is a bit more trust in uh, local councillors and metro mayors where uh, they're sort of in power. But otherwise, there's just sort of a lack of faith really in the political system that these sort of politicians care about their area and where they're from and they know what their local communities need. I'm guessing in the time since you did this survey, things might possibly have got a bit worse in terms of uh, people's yeah. perception of, uh, of how much they trust the trust the government. Yeah, I should say that I think we carried out this survey in May, April and May. So the government in Westminster was a slightly different government, I suppose, but uh, the same party. So Absolutely. So talking of parties, what I thought was one interesting thing from the report, there's, as you point out, lots of areas in the north don't think their area gets fair treatment but there's actually quite a bit of variation by political party uh, as well isn't there can you explain that yeah so I think the first thing to point out is that actually neither of the two main political parties do particularly well when we ask people you know do the Labour Party do the Conservative Party care about your area the Labour Party is ahead of uh, the Tories in the north on that measure by about 10% but still it's under 30% of people think that you know the Labour Party does care about their area unsurprisingly voters in the north in general do think, regardless of party, do think that the North doesn't get enough attention or enough funding from central government. It's actually quite surprising what we found is that for Conservative 2019 voters in the North, a massive proportion of them think that the North doesn't get its fair share, so about 90% of them. But when you compare that to Conservatives in the South, the same, the comparable figure is about 46%. So there's a really big split in sort of Conservative coalition between North and South. Labour doesn't really have that same split. So a majority of Labour voters in the South do agree that the North doesn't get its fair share, but there's not that unity amongst Tory voters. That's interesting, isn't it? I was just thinking back to the Tory leadership contest, one of the headlines that came out of it, when Rishi Sunak was down in Kent, I think it's Tunbridge Wells, and he was playing to the gallery, wasn't he, by saying, oh, all this money comes from deprived urban areas in the North, yeah. and you guys in Tunbridge Wells are, are missing out. So I suppose that that uh, that backs up that sentiment that you've just 
described. And yeah. I guess one of the um, other interesting sort of political considerations in the north of England is that obviously our region has this huge, significant industrial history. And you think about steelmaking in South Yorkshire, maybe shipbuilding in the northeast, but that actually, according to your survey, people's attitudes to these old historic in- industries aren't perhaps quite what you would expect them to be. Yeah, definitely. I think so. One of our uh, colleagues, Suzanne Hall from the Policy Institute, ran a series of focus groups that um, we sort of talk about in our uh, report as well. And I think something that comes through really strongly in those is that people don't want to return for the past. They very much want sort of a new set of opportunities and investment uh, for their local communities. And I think you see that quite a lot in when people are talking about sort of interregional sort of inequalities. So, you know, I'm from Liverpool, so people from St. Helens maybe comparing themselves to Liverpool feel like Liverpool's really got this new lease of life from what was previously sort of a post-industrial sort of northern deprived region has now got this new sense of purpose when it comes to sort of tourism and, you know, there's a lot of sort of music industry and there's big university city and they just don't feel like they've been given that new sort of lease of life in the way that the nearest sort of metropolitan city has. Um, so that's definitely something that comes through really strongly is people are accepting and realise that that industrial area is just not something that exists anymore, but they're still looking for a new sense of purpose. Yeah, absolutely. On a related subject, I was reading the report earlier and there's a, a great quote in it from a, a guy from Nottingham who, who bizarrely seems to know quite a lot about politics in the North. And he was saying, this is his quote, uh, I'm sick to death of money being put into metro areas. So it always goes to Manchester. But what about Burnley and Rochdale and Bolton and all? They get left to become complete shitholes, excuse my language, because everything goes into the centre. And I think that kind of uh, sums up quite neatly, doesn't it, how a lot of people maybe feel about metro mayors and their profile and also the issue that you spoke about earlier about intra-regional inequality, so the differences between towns and cities in, in the same region. And there's quite a lot in your report about that as well, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the narrative when it comes to levelling up does tend to focus on the North-South divide. And, you know, that is definitely a, a massive issue and it's something that voters are very aware of but what came through was that actually quite a lot of the time even though people in the north think that in general the southeast and sort of London does get too much money they kind of make allowances because they understand that you know it's a capital city it's needs are different you know the circumstances aren't quite the same and not enough attention really I think gets sort of put into the intra-regional inequalities and quite a lot of the time you know Suzanne wrote that that would actually stoke a lot more animosity between people and a lot more anger amongst people than sort of the north-south divide would. I think metro mayors, you know, they are a way to maybe sort out that issue. But again, you know, quite often they're sort of centred in the big metropolitan area of a particular region. And so it doesn't really, people don't really feel like it's getting past that issue, particularly if you're on sort of the fringes of a particular region, you not don't necessarily feel like you're getting the attention that you deserve, I think. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'll just ask you one, one, one question. Obviously, you mentioned you're from, uh, from, from Liverpool. So the, the, the results of this survey, were they, did they kind of reinforce the things that you already thought being from that, that part of the world? Or, or, or were they quite surprising to you, the, the headline findings? Um, yeah, I think so. I think what was probably most surprising to me really was just sort of like, you know, you know, the lack of faith in politicians is not you know, that wasn't particularly something that I thought was going to be great for any particular political party, but just the apathy that comes across in those figures was something I found really surprising. 
particularly in the Metro Mayor. So this is sort of one of the first times that uh, people have been able to compare uh, sort of opinions on Metro Mayors. Um, it's the first kind of data collection that's looked into that. And I was surprised at how low down Steve Rotherham was actually, because um, my impression is that he's quite locally popular. But, you know, I, I think you've got to make allowances for things like name recognition and it's quite a new post. So people don't necessarily understand kind of what a Metro Mayor is for, what its responsibilities are yet. But that was definitely something that I was quite surprised at. Just maybe that people think it's sort of a placeholder solution to an issue that is actually sort of quite deep rooted and that just creating this new post maybe won't make much of a difference. Yeah, that could be that could be the reason. So, um, Anand, one thing that I was trying to get my head round from this survey is that most people in the north think their high street is getting worse and their local area isn't getting enough money. But also the survey reveals that most people are in fact proud, proud of their area. People in the Northwest, the Northeast and Yorkshire and the Humber by high margins are either very or quite proud of their area. You obviously, you grew up in Wakefield in West Yorkshire, somewhere, which I think it's fair to say where levelling up policies could reasonably be targeted. What does that tell us about how people view the communities they live in. It's quite a complicated relationship, isn't it, that people have with their with, with where they're from. It is. And I think I think it speaks to the danger of a lot of sort of political commentary about this, which is, you know, the places you live in are rubbish and we're going to do something about it. That's not what people feel. Uh, people like where they're from. There's not, you know, as, as you'll sometimes imagine if you read some national newspapers that this, you know, everyone who can has left and the rest are hoping to find a way. It's not like that at all. People actually have really deep-seated affection for the place they live. Uh, that being said, it doesn't blind them to the fact that there has been decline. And in a sense, that that's one of the stories of this report is this perception of gradual decline over the last decade or so. Uh, but again, as Sophie said, one of the interesting findings is that even though Yes, things like high streets and stuff are mentioned. They're not mentioned as the as the as the real solutions to the problems these areas face. They're very much put at the door of national government. So, you know, if you compare what the government has done on levelling up, which is the sort of towns from the levelling up fund, you know, measures precisely to improve high streets and stuff like that. That's not what people are after. They're after lower crime. They're after better access to healthcare. They're after better jobs, and they're the sorts of stuff that these funds don't really tackle. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, I guess there's a, a stark difference between the things, the sort of shorter term things like high streets, which can be tackled with a smaller amount of money, and then the bigger structural imbalances, like the lack of high skilled jobs, which are really a job of years, if not decades, to to sort out. Um, so d- drawing this all together in terms of what lessons, I guess, policymakers can usefully take from this, I think people maybe might need some convincing that Liz Truss who is, as we record this podcast on Monday afternoon, still still the Prime Minister, that she's a full-throated supporter of the arguments for levelling it up. I mean, is this evidence that she needs to put it at more at the front of her agenda if she's, if she's able to? And how, how likely is that to happen, do, do you think? I mean, one of the things that, that sort of jumped out at us from this report, I think, was the fact that, the, you know, the Conservatives have talked about place-based inequality non-stop since 2016. I mean, whether it was, you know, the profound injustices that Theresa May talked about, the just about managing, or whether it was levelling up as Boris Johnson sort of redefined it. Uh, since the Brexit vote, one of the things that politics has focused on is place-based inequality. And I think, you know, ironically enough, the Conservatives have been so successful in pushing home that message 
that I think it is potentially dangerous if they turn their backs on it. You know, what our report showed was a significant proportion of respondents, Sophie's a lot better at the numbers than me, but it was 60-odd percent, believe that it's right that the government, uh, that, that money goes from richer areas to poorer areas. Uh, and so given that, I think if this government, whether it's this government under Liz Truss or a successor government, as maybe quite likely by the time this is broadcast, uh, tries to turn their back on this agenda, there might be a price to pay with the electorate for that. I mean, we don't know lots about what Liz Truss, uh, what her policy agenda is going to be if she has a chance to implement one. But I think what we have heard to say is that she doesn't really believe in the concept of re redistribution does she like in terms of where she sees the economy of the country going it's a growth 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 but that growth is to be stimulated by nationwide effort rather than putting more money into into poorer areas so we it doesn't like from a sort of ideological point of view it doesn't sound like she's on board with the founding principles of leveling up if you like no, I think absolutely. I think we, we, we it feels a bit like pre-2016 politics again, where people are worried about aggregate growth and not that fussed about the sort of distributional implications of that. Uh, I think that's definitely the case. And I think given, you know, the economic circumstances we find ourselves in, the sort of lavish publish infrastructure sort of projects that were so popular under Boris Johnson, at least rhetorically, if not in practice, uh, are not going to figure quite as heavily. But I think, you know, one of the lessons to take from the priorities that people spell out in this report, I think, is that the sort of quick fix, you know, what I think Michael Gove calls the sort of sugar rush levelling up, which is you stick some hanging baskets on the high street and you, you do up a few broken windows and everyone feels happier. That's not the that's not the response that people are after. They're after far longer term, more structural things being fixed. And I think that, therefore, is a job for successive governments. And it needs to be sort of carried on from one government, even, I mean, from one government, whether even if the party in, in power changes, this is a sort of 10, 15, 20 year project to address those sorts of structural issues. Absolutely. Well, it's a fascinating report. Thank you so much both for coming on to talk about it. Sophie Stowers and Anand Menon from the UK in a Changing Europe Research Initiative. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and it's produced by Daniel J. McCoughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Also, check out the other laudable podcasts, See you next week. Bye-bye.